What up, y'all? My name is Carl. What's up, y'all? I'm Jake. And we want to welcome you to Do You Even Lift, Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. You're listening to our foundation episode where we lay down our philosophy when talking about issues pertaining to masculinity and social justice. Hopefully this will help you understand where we're coming from in all future episodes. Jake, it's finally here, man. I'm actually getting chills right now that we're actually sitting in the studio and doing this thing. It's been a long time coming, and I cannot tell you how much of an honor and a privilege it is, or it will be, to be on this journey with you, man. How are you feeling? Thanks, Carl, for having me here. I am super excited. There's literally, like, I'm literally having goosebumps right now. I couldn't even say that. Goosebumps um, in the throat. <laughs> um, and I think it will be just an awesome journey, and I'm super privileged and honored to be a part of this. So let's just jump into what we're thinking about here. So the purpose for this particular podcast, y'all, is to create a space for men to really kind of dig deep and talk about how many aspects of our lives are impacted by all of the stuff that's going on in the world right now Um, and in our own personal lives. You know, we firmly believe that men played and continue to play a central role in creating and maintaining systems of oppression here in the United States and, you know, across the globe. Yeah, definitely. Like men commit 98 percent of of violence in our country and that's totally unacceptable and although there are many complex and intertwining aspects to to why this is the case we believe that in one way to address this is to challenge ourselves and other men to name and resist these identities of masculinity that leads to these epidemic levels of violence particularly against our ourselves and others as well how do you feel about that um I don't, it's just like, it's just, there's so much and it's that like, um, seeing that statistic of 98% is, I mean, it just, it's so high, but like, it's also so real in the ways that I think we see violence and we see men's violence. Yeah. And you know, and I think I can already hear a ton of people out there thinking or saying like, well, you know, how does two guys talking about stuff really help solve anything? Like there's major problems in the world going on right now. Right. Um, And I think there's a tendency, and maybe particularly for men, to want to really jump into action or do something um, when they become aware of things, right? And so when I hear one in four women or one in two transgender individuals experience sexual violence in their lifetime, I'm like, that's just messed up and we got to do something right now. Um, And historically, that's potentially or it has caused harm in the past. And so we really firmly believe that self-reflection and restructuring our masculinities is a process of action. Um, there's tons of men who say, oh, and you know, when I'm going through, and Jake, I think you've experienced this too, but in, when we try to engage men in conversations about masculinities and its harms, both to the world and to ourselves, we hear a lot of dudes that say something like, hey, you know, I love what you're doing, but, and, and I totally respect you and I respect women, but, you know, it's just not for me. And then they kind of walk away with the finger guns. And that, <laughs> Like, we really believe that that kind of complacency actually supports the status quo for the systems of dominance that we engage in. Yeah, definitely. The finger guns, like, (laughs) I've seen that all the time, and it's just, it's so weird. But anyways, I think that this not for me is basically communicating to us that it's like, no, that's like great that you're doing that, but I like the benefits that I'm receiving because of my privileged identities and where where that comes from of being complacent i wonder if that's a conscious process that they kind of go through like i don't know maybe that's a podcast for later but yeah definitely um so with all that said you know we are coming here not as experts on this kind of stuff um we're going to root a lot of what we're saying in in the our own experiences um we only really speak for ourselves And even when I hear it and say that, when I hear myself say that, I also feel like you and I, Jake, we have these conversations all the time um, and and have some level of formal teaching around this kind of stuff. So I do feel like we know a little bit. Um, So hopefully we get a little bit of credit for understanding and knowing what we're talking about. 
And that kind of leads me to thinking like, where did I gain a lot of this knowledge and everything I know and have learned about masculinity and gender based problems has really come from women and gender nonconforming folks that I've talked to um, has come from their experiences and the stuff that they've written that I've read. And for me personally, the, the conversations I've had with women of color have really um, been impactful for me. And I'm just so grateful that they're able to like put up with my masculine bullshit basically for just long enough to help me learn and grow, you know? Um, and I just know and truly believe that we are standing on the shoulders of giants when we're doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Like I can relate that on some certain level. Like I think I learn like how my privilege impacts people and how it shows up through the experiences and feelings of those that have been oppressed and are being oppressed. Um, I think with that, I want to, with this podcast kind of show the purpose of maybe, um, uh, kind of modeling privileged identities and how they can show up in social justice and be better av- allies and advocates for um, for folks. So you've been you use some language in there, Jake. Uh, you talking about oppression, talking about privileged identities, um, and so I think that's important to sort of address for this particular podcast. We'll be running on some general assumptions here, and one of them is that. We do not think that the fact that oppression exists is a debatable topic. We think oppression is pervasive, uh, that it's continual, and particularly in the United States, it is intentionally structured to benefit certain identities over others. And although we will be specifically focusing on gender, which uh, men are, cis men, I should say, are the dominant group in the United States for that, which means we get more uh, access to resources, we have more opportunities, we have flexibility in who and how we want to exist in this world just to name a few do you have anything to add i mean there's a a bunch of them i think kind of like within that um realm of cisness um i think like also like who's being heard um is a really important one like i could say anything and i feel like i would be heard over just a like a maybe like a person that identifies as like a trans dude would be talking yeah i think you named a lot of them though yeah and then the other side of that right like we tend we as men cis men in particular get a lot of credibility when we talk about gender even though the lived experience of oppression through gender rests in women and transgender individuals and those who identify as gender non-conforming or gender queer or gender fluid or agender um, we understand that this structure even though that binary doesn't necessarily work for all of us is set up that way to help benefit men yeah definitely and i think like that's also an important way to understand like where kind of privilege lies with that as well. So like here are some privileged identities that we should go, I think, address. Um, Being white, heterosexual, uh, owning class or upper class, um, Christian, able-bodied, US born, the ages between 35 and 60, and also understanding that these, I think these privileges are like having these privileged identities are okay. Like I think people kind of take these, get this like defensiveness of like, oh, I'm white. Like it's not my fault. And I was like, okay, yeah, it's it's not. But the thing is, if you're being complacent and you're not learning what that is, then it's kind of your fault. <laughs> right. If, if like, you're if you just sit there and enjoy it and deny it all the time, then you become part of the problem. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. You contribute to systems of oppression which are like institutional and systemic as well yeah and so in this podcast about social justice we understand that we can't think about gender as a vacuum right like there's no way to sort of isolate an identity when we talk about this kind of stuff so you and i will do our best to honor how all of these work simultaneously as we talk about oppression dynamics and what it means to be a man and we will be sort of viewing this through the focus of gender and you mentioned a little something there about 
individual level or systemic stuff, I think it's important to pull apart how these dynamics play out in different levels, right? That sort of defensiveness of I'm, but I'm a good guy, right? Like we hear that a lot. And I think it's important to understand that we don't think every man out there is a bad dude right? Because of the way the system is set up. But we know that there are individuals who are bad dudes and maybe sometimes way more than we think. And what we're trying to do here is empower the men who know that when things are wrong, when you feel that thing in your gut that you're like, wait a minute, what he said wasn't cool, but I don't know what to do about it. We're hoping to like empower and reach those men to say something or do something um, by modeling the language in which they can do it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like silence is super powerful in that, in that sort of sense as well. What do you mean by super powerful, Jake? Um, what I mean by that is uh, that silence upholds this the status quo um, because we're not really doing anything to change it. Um, if So if I'm on the street and I hear something problematic or something really awful and I don't say anything, nothing happens. So the purpose of this podcast, um, I feel, is a way to kind of do something about that and kind of speak about these issues. So with that said, we thought it'd be prudent of us to like get to know each other or at least put ourselves out there a little bit and talk about who we are by interviewing each other. And so um, for future podcasts, just so you all know, we will be asking that we will be interviewing men, uh, mostly students, hopefully, and sort of asking them about their journey through masculinity. So Jake and I will also be doing that just to be in community with everyone. So Jake, tell us about your journey through masculinity, man. Wow. Um, <laughs> I think my journey kind of starts through like the way I think about my, like my masculinity is through like, uh, like kind of like high school through college, um, kind of that timeline. Um, it was a lot of like, like knowing like you can't cry. You, uh, you gotta be athletic in some, some sort of way. Um, and I saw that a lot with like playing baseball baseball in high school uh tennis as well um but like i think it was a lot of like harm to myself in that way of like oh i'm not good enough for this this because i'm not athletic enough or strong enough like there was these uh, these standards that i would have thought that were like superficial and stupid but i also didn't know how to break out of them and like understand what they what that was like i didn't understand my own masculinity um, so then kind of approaching college, I was like, okay, well, I really want to s- start like learning about ethnic studies and learning about like where that, what that means. And, um, I think that was really a, like a pivotal place to start with like understanding my masculinity. Um, I kind of remember like going to my first ethnic studies class, which is Monica Rivera's, uh, mas- uh, not masculinity, the media, ethnic studies in the media and, um, just understanding kind of how much impact I have and understanding like white privilege, male privilege, and like the impacts that I have on folks and what experiences I am not experiencing. Um, so I think that was like a good start, but not understanding it was so difficult and something that really I needed to like keep working at. Um, and so kind of later on, I joined men in the movement and got to learn from you on what that, what that means and kind of give these experiences names and like kind of, kind of give myself language of what I was going through and how to have feelings, how to work on like being more empathetic and having like compassion and understanding um, the impacts that I have and the voice that I have. Nice man. Like, how do you work on empathy then? 
Um, I don't think it was like that hard for me to do. I think it was more of like understanding like the person's experience and like how that affects them rather than like, I think I also understood like what empathy was, but like, I was like, oh, I understand. Cause I, wait, I don't experience it. Like <laughs> always, I guess I always thought I did experience right. something that someone was experiencing, but I wasn't. Okay. So I think it was, there's the difference between like, I get it and I understand Okay. Like, cause like, I feel like I get where you're coming from is like totally different of like, I don't experience it, but I'm here to like support you and like under, like try to get to a closer, um, realm of understanding. But with like understand, it's like, oh yeah, I've had that experience before. Um, and I get why you feel that way. And I would feel the same if you did, if, if I had that experience again. Um, so that's kind of where I land with that. Okay. Talk a little bit more about, um, cause for me, I th I'm thinking there has to be some sort of nugget in your life in there that sort of gives you the propensity to be able to show empathy in the first place. Like, is there anything or anyone in your life that really sort of helped you get on some level of emotional understanding with someone else who's sitting in front of you? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it was a lot with like my dad. I think that was a lot. I had a lot to do with him. He was a pretty, he's a pretty compassionate person. Um, but I also, the thing there's this like double-edged sort of learning how to be a man through my dad, but then also learning to be empathetic with my dad. Okay. Um, I think it was a lot of like seeing how he worked in like his, with his job of being a, like an educator at a high school and, um, really helping out, helping out folks, but also understanding like where the kind of getting where they're coming from and like kind of, deconstructing his own masculinity to the point where it was like helping me. Um, it's hard to kind of like relate, like have like this like spark moment of when it happened. But I remember like having a lot of conversations about like how I'm feeling or like what's going on. Like besides like, what's the next paper you're going to do? Like it was like a lot of like deeper meaning and a lot of deeper conversations than just like how sports <laughs> like, but like, there's nothing wrong with sports, but like, I think there was just a lot of less surface level conversations that I actually thought I was expecting with my dad in terms of like, what are the levels of connection with your dad then? Um, like what are what do you talk about outside of sports or do um, you, we do, yeah, we talk a lot about like, sometimes it's political, um, which is kind of cool to like, see how he feels about it. But, um, it's a lot about like kind of where, some of it was like very philosophical and like kind of like meta, like way up and way up here kind of talk. Um, I think it's, but like the, where like, like the deepness came from was like how like kind of ma diff matching different experiences that we both, we were having. So like um, he was talking a lot about like how I was brought up compared to how he was raised okay, and how he was talking about how like my grandfather was pretty like pretty to himself. He, had a lot of uh, issues with alcoholism and um, like a, a lot of heart issues as well. Um, so like kind of talking about like kind of like drug addiction and hmm. stuff around that with like, and like kind of talking about like notions of masculinity when in the context of like family history, but not naming it as like complexities of masculinity, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, so it was a lot of like, you were raised with like a father that like, you weren't afraid of or that like mm. you have the ability to say no to me 
um, even if it's something that I don't agree with. Um, so it was a lot of like kind of understanding his history as well um, compared to mine. Um, so it's like a generational thing but i think it's something that i've been kind of like thinking about a lot that's awesome dude thanks for sharing Mm -hmm. cool uh i have some like rapid fire questions for you if you don't mind me asking Mm -hmm. yeah of course all right cool what's your full name what's my full name it's jacob barry alietti okay um so jacob i go jake for short because that's like the nickname i like to be called i feel like every time i've been called jacob it's like this white proper like british person like (laughs) jacob like it's like very like i don't know it's just too like it's like a high class thing um i think it was always like my dad was always talking about kind of going back to that conversation about me and my father is like this like importance of like understanding your roots Mm. and understanding like like where your identities lie right um so like he talked a lot about class privilege with that, with like understanding your roots and also like race privilege as well. And then Barry is named after my grand, my, uh, not my grandfather, my, um, uncle. Um, okay. Yeah. So, um, he's a, just a good part of my family. And then Alietti, um, it's just Italian, um, means many little garlics. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. Uh, where are you from? I'm from Aurora, Colorado. Yeah. Basically just like 30 minutes outside of Denver. What do you do in your free time? What do I do in my free time? That's a good one. Um, I love watching like movies and TV. Um, I'm just fascinated in like kind of understanding like like the complexities and like actors and like how they live their lives and also like the dynamics of like um, problematic media and like what that kind of arises. Um, I also like video games. Um, also a big Star Wars nerd. Um, I'm wearing a Qui Gon Jinn shirt right now, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, what kind of funky ass talents do you have? Funky ass talents. Um, I've shared this with you. Uh, <laughs> is uh, like voices and impressions. Um, some of them, like I've kind of thought about it in a realm of like how problematic they like can be. Yep. Um, and how like people use voices as a way to like mimic and make fun of people. Um, and I've really tried to stray away from that. Um, I still like doing them, but it's a more of like I think being like a whack like being wacky rather than like all right i'm gonna make fun of this like gay person or right. like this like weird white dude that i see but like okay i mean i feel like making fun of white dudes is not like as bad but um <laughs> come but on now. it's still bad <laughs> um yeah all right, so whenever you say you like doing impressions people always ask for a demonstration right mm-hmm. all right what you got for me um what's your favorite impression to do Recently, it's uh, Donald Duck. Do- okay, hold on. So, give me uh, Donald Duck training Pluto the dog. Pluto the dog. What do you know about hockey? What's going on? <laughs> Pluto, get out of here. Um, <laughs> well done. All right. Okay. Yeah, it's a, little, it's a little extra. Not gonna lie. <laughs> okay, we'll see how that plays back in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about Star Wars? Like, catches you? Um, I don't know. I think it like it kind of shows there's a lot of aspects of like um kind of like thinking about i guess like i've thought about like masculinity in this the um this aspect of star wars is like kind of like thinking about like this like thing of mindfulness okay um of like the notions of mindfulness and how that kind of shows up in the movie and just like showing up through men being wise and how that like is really fascinating to me and how like there's these like separation between like kind of anger and fear and then like also like 
wisdom and like patience huh. and like to the Jedi order though, right? Yeah, through like Jedi and then Sith. So it's like I associate it with like different parts of like masculinity and upbringing. Like if you think about it, like like Anakin Skywalker just like doesn't have a good family life and never had a father figure growing up and like seeing how that kind of manifests his anger and fear of losing his wife and like kind of losing his sense of self. Okay. Um, so That's what's it's up. really, really fascinating to me. Good work. So I've want... got no more questions. Man. Okay. Yeah, I'll switch to you then. Uh, so tell us about your journey through masculinity. Carl. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> I can try. Um, well, so I, I mean, so here we go. I, I identify as mixed race, right? Um, Japanese and white. My mother is a Japanese woman. Um, my dad is a white dude from Illinois. I also identify as cis man, um, as heterosexual. I guess right now I'm a middle class, uh, agnostic. I'm mostly able-bodied, uh, born 25% deaf, which is going to play in here in a minute. Uh, I also have depression born in the United States and I am 31 years old, man. Um, that's been a trip, but in terms of talking about my masculine, my masculinity, I actually usually start with my racial identity of being mixed, right? So growing up, um, being mixed race, that was constant interrogation of who I was and where I come from. Um, and that showed up in the form of the most common phrase would be, what are you? And then it would be where you're from or where you really from, where your parents from. And I, man, I don't know if I remember a day where that question wasn't asked, uh, in my childhood and my teenage years by strangers and friends alike. And so what that did to me in the United States was tell me that there's something kind of messed up going on, right? Like I don't fit in people's notions of something. And I couldn't understand that as a kid. And then when I went to Japan, you know, we had the privilege of being able to visit my mother's family in Japan every summer. I don't look Japanese. And so everyone there would speak English to me first. And that sort of told me that I don't actually belong in Japan either. Right. So I just had this really shaky foundation of the notion of fitting in and home even my parents too, right? Like they're both monoracial. My dad's side of the family is like conservative Republican. Talking to them about race probably wouldn't have been smart. I mean, I knew enough as a kid to not even bring it up. Um, and, you know, my mom who was born and raised in Japan would have no conception of race in the United States anyway. So I didn't really have a family mentor to look up to. And then when you combine this 25% deaf thing, um, what it really did was create some pretty deep-seated insecurities and it grew and festered within me. And my solution to that as a teenager was to be as manly as possible to sort of fill up all of my shortcomings in the terms of, in terms of race and ability with masculineness, right? So I was a jock in high school. Like I was really, I, I mean, I was really good at soccer. I thought I was really good at soccer, right? Um, I was, I would lifted weights. I was just a really stereotypical dude, bro, uh, all the way up through probably when I was 22 or 23 years old. Um, but when I came to college i took a class called ethnicity in the media as well so it's interesting that you bring that up and we read this thing called unpacking the invisible knapsack uh by peggy mcintosh and it was about white privilege and what what that reading did for me was it gave me the language to really articulate my experiences as a kid and from that point i was like okay so if i was being made to feel this way because of my race i wonder what i've been making women feel because of my gender and that particular connection for me was so profound that I started taking women's studies classes, one in particular called SAGE, which is Student Alliance for Gender Education back in the day. And Monica Rivera taught that class too, so many connections here. 
and that really set me on the path to really critically examine my masculinity, develop it. And I don't, I don't know if I'll ever get over the emptiness inside that the insecurities created back in the day. You know what I mean? Um, and so it's just kind of a continual journey to really understand and figure out my experiences in the past. And one of the ways I found to sort of fill that up is to do conversations like this and talk to other men about it to sort of lay the foundation for future generations to not have to feel the way that I did growing up. Um, and I find a lot of, of, uh, reward in that. So I, I see a counselor all the time, man, like that's been super helpful. I'm a partner that's completely understanding about that journey and supportive. And so there's just a bunch of elements of support there that I really appreciate. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, man. Yeah, no worries. Um, so I got some quick rapid fire questions for you Let's uh, do it. so for breakfast food would you rather have sweet or savory food sweet or safe that's my two choices or i mean like kind of like savory. like if yeah all the way yeah okay. i'm ex scramble kind of guy in the morning oh hell yeah okay <laughs> i appreciate that um what is your favorite activity to do when you have an off day or like a vacation like if vacation idea, all right like, so every time i go somewhere um particularly if it's a big city there's two things I look up on Google Maps. One of them is a place to eat ramen, and another place is a brewery. That's just kind of the two go-to things I look for when I travel. And other travel is usually to remote areas like Rainy Lake in Minnesota to do some fishing, um, or the Great Sand Dunes, right? Like places where you probably won't find good ramen uh, is usually involving some sort of camping or outdoor bro-y thing that I do with my dad. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you, have you found any good ramen places in Colorado? Colorado for sure. Yeah. You have to travel. There's no. Yeah. There's none in Fort Collins, unfortunately. I, we've talked about this before, but do watches complete an outfit? And if so, why? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, watches. I don't own one, but I often consider it my favorite piece of article or my favorite article of clothing. And I wonder if that's a still an attachment to old school like timepieces. You know what I mean? Where they actually told time. Well, I guess they still actually tell, tell time, but I hear a lot of people who wear watches today actually still look at their phone for the time anyway. And so I'm not sure what my affinity with watches is. I do think it completes the outfit in the sense that without anything on our wrists, we look a little bare, like, like, um, not, I guess naked and, you know, I associate nakedness with homeness. And so watches are very much like what you would present as a complete outfit to the outside world, in my opinion. But, you know, that's probably complete crap. I mean, I, I think watches are pretty great, but... I don't know if they necessarily a complete an outfit. <laughs> okay. Um, but like shoes are probably a better fit for completing an outfit. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe have those on your feet. Um, <laughs> so what is one skill you wish you had? This might oh be man, I wish I had musical skill all the way. Like I wish I could play an instrument or um, create a beat. I think that would be super cool. Or you know what? I, it's music in general. Like uh, I fantasize a little bit. This might, I mean, this is getting deep, but mm-hmm. it'd be so cool to be able to like do an acoustic version of a bunch of stuff, um, and then play on the pianos out here and sing at the same time. Um, that's really, I guess, egotistical, but it, it'd just be dope to be able to just sing wherever I wanted and people go, Holy crap, what a voice that would be the talent yeah, I want. That'd be cool. I, I see where you're going with that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's totally egomaniacal <laughs> based off of that. What would be your favorite? What's your favorite musical artist? Uh, I'm actually trending toward Bamboo de Pistola. He's a Filipino rapper out of LA. He teamed up with this guy named uh, Prometheus Brown, aka Geologic, from the Blue Scholars to create a group called The Bar. And those two are the dopest artists. Uh, they sort of speak to my social justice Asian soul through their music. But you know, recently music's been a little bit harder and harder for me. Like I listen actually more to podcasts I think now than I do 
music and I don't know, I think that might be a function of age, but I definitely trend toward lesser known API hip hop artists and that's where I put my money towards. Very cool. So that will do it for this episode of Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Huge shout out to our partnership with the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University for allowing us this podcast to actually happen. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for information about the WJSC, go to wjc.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Our music production is by Xavier Hadley, aka Zavley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. So that will do it for us. And thank you for tuning in. Deuces.